Thank you for tuning in to the recorded worship service for McGregor Evangelical Mennonite Church for June 27th, 2021. We hope it encourages you and challenges you in your faith and that you can be connected to the body of believers wherever you are. Jesus, hope of the nations, Jesus, comfort for all who
Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72, from the English Standard Version. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces.
Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you that after all these months, it finally starts to look like maybe the pandemic is heading towards its end. With the vaccine rates up, with the loosening restrictions, God, we want to say thank you for being with us during all of it. It has been hard. It has been lonely. But you have been with us through it. And so we want to say thank you so very much for that. And our God, we also want to bring before you the summer camps that are around us this morning. This news that there is actually the possibility of having some form of day camp. That is absolutely huge. We were getting so very concerned for how it is that their summers were going to be looking and how it is that their financial outlook was going to be as well. But God, you provide. And so we pray that though it will not look as it has in the past, nevertheless, you put into place the staff that need to be there. You put into place the campers that need to be there. God, work through our summer camps so that this will be a summer that those there will never forget. That this will be a summer where they see you on full display. Again, our Lord, we thank you. And finally, as we... Look around our community. Lord, we see so very much animosity between people because for so many months now, the main way that we have interacted with one another has been through a medium like Facebook that encourages us to be at each other's throats. God, we pray that now as things open up, you will lead these people that are at odds to come face to face once again. And as such, patch up the wounds that are there. Bridge the gulfs that have formed. Remind us all that the people on the other side of the screen are human beings who think and love just like we do. Our Lord, this is something on our minds and we place it before you. Our Lord, we bring these things before you today. And in your name we pray. Amen. I'll be reading Matthew seven twenty-one to 29 from the English Standard Version. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is, is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, 
the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And today, after seven weeks, we come to the end of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. During our time, we have learned about the Beatitudes, which serve to lay out for us both who we should as Christians look to become, as well as who it is we Christians should live our lives for the benefit of, those people that God is all in for. In broad terms, the poor, the meek, the hungry, the persecuted, the peacemakers, the merciful, the righteous, and the pure-hearted those who are the least among us today. And we have also learned all the teachings of the sermon as well, those three-part instructions that show us the common wisdoms that describe how we understand the world to be, what is wrong with that understanding that keeps those who are the least among us pushed down, and how we can live so that with God's help, Things can be changed so that those people listed in the Beatitudes are instead lifted up. It is in doing this that we will find the kingdom of heaven built. If you've not already taken in the other six sermons, my recommendation would be to actually pause this message and check those out because today we have moved past the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, but we will reference them. And we have come now to the third major section. The conclusion, where it is spelled out for us just why it is that we should take all that we have learned in the sermon before today to heart. This is going to be the shortest message of the series, but I warn you up front, its takeaway is likely going to punch the hardest. And so we turn to our passage today. And as we do so, we begin to ask ourselves, while the sermon is a great bit of scripture, why is it that we should actually put its words into practice? After all, in it, Jesus asks an awful lot from us. I mean, he essentially asks us to rework our entire life outlook to be for the benefit of other people who, by their definition, have very little to offer us. So what could Jesus possibly say to us here in this conclusion to his sermon to make walking down this road a good idea. Well, as it turns out, there are actually three things. The first is there from verses 21 to 23, and we read its summary right at its beginning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This passage continues on in the vein of the end of the passage that comes before it that Andrew covered last week. Then it was talking specifically about how we can identify false prophets by the fruit of their actions. While here we broaden things up to talk about everyone else, everyone who claims to be a Christian, everyone who claims to live their life by Christ's teaching. That's me, likely you, and every other believer that we know. How can we know if we are true believers? Simple. We do the will of God, of Jesus Christ. We follow as he leads us. Do that, and when the time comes, he will remember our face. And what is the will of Jesus Christ? Well, that this passage is here, that it is the conclusion of the sermon that comes before it, is the obvious clue as to what we are to understand the will of God to be. 
Is the will of God what we read in verse 22 here? Is the will of God for us all to prophesy in the name of the Lord? No. Is it for us all to drive out demons? Again, no. Is it for us to perform miracles on the behalf of our Lord? Again, no. It is not that any of these things are bad things. The faith has grown greatly because of just these acts of God through his followers, as we see in the remainder of Jesus' life and into the rest of the New Testament as well. But what these things are not is choosing to live your life for the benefit of others, as the sermon calls us to, for the needs of those who need you the most. They are all miraculous for sure, but what they are not is choosing with your life to identify and to work to put an end to all the ways those who are the least among us have been kept the least among us for all this time. They are signs to behold for sure, but what they are not is lifting up those who are trodden upon, those listed in the Beatitudes. And so what they are not is on their own actually building the kingdom of heaven for these people. This is the first reason Christ tells us that we should follow his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. It is living in this way for these people, not in the grand spectacle or the purely inward-facing movement so common throughout much of the church today, but in living in this way for the benefit of others that need you and our God that we find ourselves most readily living by the Lord's will. Now, if this passage has you terrified that you will not be recognized by the Lord when the time comes, which is a common fear that people have taken away from it, because the nature of the Sermon on the Mount is that often it can be interpreted as everything is never good enough. If this is you with this fear, I will remind you that built into the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount is the idea of directionality. We very briefly hit on it in week two. That is that what is important in the Sermon on the Mount isn't that you master living in the ways that Jesus lays out, but instead just that you head in the direction that they point, just that you try. Try to live for others as Christ leads. That is what he asks. Try as you are able to follow our Lord, and even though I guarantee you that you will mess up from time to time, as we all will. Nevertheless, do this, and our Lord will, when the time comes, remember your face. But then we come to the second reason that we should follow the teachings of the sermon. In verses 24 to 27, and there we read Jesus tell us that these teachings are like a rock that we can build our life on. If you take this wisdom that seeks to better the world for the peoples of the Beatitudes, and in doing that, form us also into the people that God is 100% for, if you make this the basis of your life, we are told by God that this will be doing a very wise thing. It will be like building a house on a rock, though there will be time when storms and trials in life come. If you follow these teachings, you will be living in such a way that you will be able to stand firm in our Lord through it all. 
but the opposite is also true. If you instead ignore these teachings and choose to build your life on anything that does not work to build up the people of the Beatitudes, that does not seek to build the kingdom of heaven, that instead seeks to tear others down farther or to place yourself solely in the limelight at the expense of all else, choose this path. And you will find that not only at the end of all things God does not know your face, but also in your life now, you will find that you have built your metaphorical hosts on the sand. Meaning that when the trials and the tribulations of life come, you will find your foundation will give way. Because will our God stand with you if you stand against him? Not likely. Will other people stand with you if you are working against them or only for your own benefit? Again, don't count on it. This is the second reason why we should follow the teachings that we have spent so much time going over the past seven weeks. Because our Lord tells us it is the wise thing to do. It is building on a solid foundation. And now, the third and the final reason that we should follow Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And what this point is, we actually find outside of the sermon itself. You can see it in verses 28 and 29. There we read that after Jesus was finished speaking, the people were amazed because he spoke with an authority that other teachers of the law, other people who teach you wisdom and how to live your life, simply did not have. Now remember, this is a fact that the writer of the gospel, Matthew, is adding in decades after the fact, when he is actually writing, after he was made well aware of just who it is that Jesus was. To Matthew, these are the teachings of someone who lived this life, who died for living in this way, and was resurrected as well. This is the way that not only some lowly person claiming to be a holy man or a guru lived, no, this is the way the Son of God chose to live. If there was ever an authoritative teacher, that's it right there. But also, Matthew wrote this long enough after the fact that he saw just how powerful this way of living was as well, how practical and how effective it is. This is a way of living that caused the church to go from tens to tens of thousands in his lifetime and saw people who never knew justice before lifted high at the same time. There is authority found in that as well. That is the third reason to heed the teachings of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount because they have proven themselves to not only come from an authoritative source from God, but also to be authoritative themselves because of the fruit that they bear. These are the three reasons that you should heed the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. They are the will of God, for they lay out how, with his help, to build the kingdom of heaven that will see the least among us built up. They are the key to a wise life, for through them is the path of a life well lived. And they have proven themselves authoritative, both in terms of their source and also their effect. And with that, our time in the Sermon on the Mount comes to an end. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I also hope that that came through. This is easily one of my favorite passages in the Bible, which 
is good because it is easily one of the most important as well. But as for that application that I promised you would be difficult, it's going to be in the form of an assignment to take with you going forward. An assignment that requires you to look beyond just today to the entirety of the series of the Sermon on the Mount in the hope of learning one great way to apply its principles to the world around us. Over the series, we have learned that to live as a Christian is to embody the teachings in the sermon, is to choose to live in such a way that makes the world better for the poor, the meek, the hungry, the persecuted, the peacemakers, the merciful, the righteous, and the pure-hearted, the least among us, the people of the Beatitudes. And perhaps most interestingly, we are told to do this by, in large part, identifying the parts of our life that we just take for granted, the common wisdoms that we don't even think about that actually make the world harder for those in it. To identify these things so that we can, with God's help, move in a direction that actually addresses the problem there. Now, since Jesus' time, I think we can all agree in many ways that the world has moved on. Today, there are new wisdoms that have entered into our understanding of what it means to live, new wisdoms that came in response to rises in technology and changes in society and changes in culture as well. Not all of them are bad, but they are new wisdoms that, just like in Jesus' day, are often left unexamined and unchallenged because they are just taken for granted. And as such, they often grind the people of the Beatitudes into the ground as well. But if we as Christians are called to live to embody these teachings of our Lord from the Sermon on the Mount, then I would posit that it is still our job as Christians to not simply let these wisdoms of our day that we often just take for granted go unexamined. Not if they are causing the people we as Christians are to live for to be ground into the dust. So, here is my assignment for you. As you come across these wisdoms that we take for granted in the world today, spend some time really thinking about if they are purely a good thing, or if they are hurting people in how we as a society choose to apply them. And if it is hurting others come up with some ways to address it. Because here is the thing about common wisdoms. They are never just sayings. They are always being lived out. They are being lived out in our lives. They are being lived out in how we think of other people. They are being lived out in how we judge the world around us. And they are more than often the embodiment of the reason why we choose to act in some situations or stay on the sidelines in others. Common wisdoms, they might seem like just turns of phrase, they might seem like just words, but they are the words that define how we think in the world today. And there is real power in that, in identifying the underlying current of what we just take for granted. And this is a power that we as Christians who know the Sermon on the Mount know we are called to address. So here is an example of what I want you to do. This is a common wisdom that I think we've all heard many times before. Hard work is the key to success. That is something I think that we can all on the surface agree with. But why don't we take it and then run it through part two of Jesus's three-part process that we've heard so many times over the last seven weeks. 
Because there absolutely is a problem with this way of thinking. For while it may be true for a lot of us who are in a town that is small enough that we mostly all know one another and care for one another and want to see one another succeed, let's instead apply it to someone who is single with a kid, who has no family, no credit, and knows no one. We say you just need to work hard to make it, work hard to succeed. Well, where is that person going to get a job that will allow them to afford daycare as well? Minimum wage certainly isn't going to do that in our town. The cost of rent is way too high. The cost of food is way too high. You can try to get something better, but most of those jobs likely will have shifts that your daycare may not be able to accommodate at all. In our situation in McGregor, we don't even have a daycare. How do you work hard to succeed when the world is so stacked against you that even the option to work is in question? But what do we think to ourselves when we see single unemployed parents around us? How do we all too often react? I would say we act in the line with our wisdom today. Often we think they are not succeeding, so they are clearly just not working hard enough. And when we come to think that, what do we think the solution to the problem is? Is it for us to help or for that lazy person to simply work harder? How does that in turn impact how we say live our lives, say choose to vote in our municipal or our provincial elections, or even decide how the institutions that we are a part of deal with our community? The common wisdoms that we don't think to question have real impact on how we deal with other people. A version of the same scenario bears out for people with disabilities and people who take care of people with disabilities, those too poor to be able to afford transportation to work, and for millions more who were not fortunate enough to be in the position of what we think of as the average worker. So if this is a problem with this wisdom, how do we fix it? Well, I will grant that is terribly hard. But I take a page out of my friend Kevin Weeb's new book on this one and say that we work toward building relationships with those who need them. When you can see someone as well-rounded and not just as that person, it is a lot easier to know how they need help and how to help accordingly. Say if you own a business, maybe if you are looking to hire, you take the risk. It may not work out, but what is that next to helping somebody who is down? Maybe if you have them, you share your connections with this person as well. There are a million different ways that you can go about doing this. But what's important is that this is the direction that you head if you want to address the problem we identified with this common wisdom. Hard work is the key to success. And these are solutions, wouldn't you know it, that sound an awful lot like those that we talked about a few weeks back when we covered not making money your master as well, aren't they? Strange how that is the case. Though the common wisdoms have changed, the principles that our Lord taught, they stay the same. But this is just one common wisdom. And we live by hundreds of them. Boys will be boys is another one that comes to mind. The squeaky wheel gets the grease I have seen used to justify harassing someone to the point of tears. So this is my assignment for you. Using what we have learned over the past seven weeks, as you go forward and encounter these common wisdoms, 
ones that we all live by, ones that we don't even think to examine, give them that three-part treatment like Jesus did. See if it hurts the people of the Beatitudes and present a way in which we could address that very issue as well. You don't need to solve the issue. The goal here is just to see the problem and then figure out a way to head in the general direction that we need to go. And on that, the principles you'll find in the Sermon on the Mount will be just as relevant today as they were two millennia ago. But this has been our time in the Sermon on the Mount, and for me at least, it's been a good one. And so I will leave you now, just as Christ finished his sermon all that time ago, with an exhortation to do just this. Follow Christ's teachings here. Live for those people of the Beatitudes. Follow the will of our God. It is the wise way to live and the way that has proved itself to be authoritative in every way.
Our benediction today comes from the book of Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go forth now, and with all that you are, build the coming kingdom of our Lord.